record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Hi, I'm Trisha Yearwood, and you're tuned to Furniture Today's On the Record podcast with Bill McLaughlin. Before we turn to Bill and his guests, I just want to give a shout out to the entire Furniture Today team and remind you that when there's something exciting to announce, you'll read about it first in Furniture Today. And now, here's Bill McLaughlin and On the Record. I'm Bill McLaughlin. Welcome to the On the Record podcast. My guest this week is Riz Samji, CEO of Cymax. Riz, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me here today. So um, for folks who may not be as familiar with CIMAX, um, just kind of give us a, a little kind of 10-second, 25-word uh, introduction of who CIMAX is and all that you encompass. Because it's not just, a, you know, you, you guys do quite a, a number of different things. Yeah, I'll try and keep it brief, but there is a lot that we do. So uh, in a nutshell, we simplify e-commerce for our furniture vendors. Um, we do this through two segments, Cymax e-commerce, which is powered by our own technology platform called ChannelGate. And then there's Freight Club, what we call our Expedia for freight. Um, we have a pretty unique approach where we combine our own technology, our 16 years plus of furniture knowledge to create an end-to-end solution that enables our sellers to succeed across multiple sales channels. This includes selling products on Cymax.com, Homesquare.com, and 15 plus uh, marketplace channels that we have. So my guess is that as of about March or April of 2020, you started getting a lot of phone calls and things got really, really interesting. Um, How just kind of how has the last year been um, in that business? It's been phenomenal for us. I mean, you know, as with any e-commerce solution or seller that you've probably come across, you know, um, it's just the the market has exploded for us. You know, all all of the metrics you see online, it's accelerated online adoption, especially in the furniture industry by by years. And, you know, we've seen all of that. Um, And and that's really been excited for us. And uh, it's definitely been tough at the same time. Yeah, I'll bet. I, I've heard a lot of people say, and, and we've talked to a lot of different folks about e-commerce and how it's exploded in the last year. I've heard some, some people use the, um, the, the expression, it took five years worth of changes and jammed them into, in some cases, five weeks or five months. And it kind of accelerated trends that were already starting. Have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, our story is quite quite interesting as well. You know, I, I joined Cymax in 2015 as the VP of technology. So my background is in tech. And in January of 2019, uh, I took over as CEO. And, and for the prior years, I guess I would say the last, the, the prior two to three years to March of 2020, um, we have been preparing uh, in so many ways for that moment. And, 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 you know, it's lucky to be good, good to be lucky or whatever it is. But we literally finished one of our last projects in February of that year. And, um, you know, the, the first week of March, we're like, well, we've got everything. We can work from home. Um, you know, we didn't expect the volumes that we were going to get. It was more just can we shut down the business and, and you know, the, the office and actually work from home. And we did it overnight. We're like, let's just run a test. You know, we're seeing and hearing all these things about COVID. Let's do it. So we shut it down. And 
we were all pretty nervous that first week or two of working from home, what was going to happen. And then, you know, we just, we were doing Black Friday and Cyber Monday numbers, you know, every single day. Um, and our systems held, right? And, you know, obviously maybe a couple cracks under the water, but our own systems really held. It was, you know, all the issues of the supply chain and everything, which we can talk about a bit later, that were really making it challenging for us. But we, we managed and we managed really well. You said something I think is really interesting, and it's a little tangential to the topic. You started on the tech side and rose to the CEO's position. And that's an interesting path. If you think of the historical path, typically most CEOs come up from the sales portion of, of most businesses. Do you think the fact that in this case, you came up from the tech side, does that speak to the way that business has been changing in the last 10 years or so? Absolutely. You know, and that's why I got tapped on the shoulder to, to take that position because you know, and especially in our business, technology, process improvement, operations, you know, this business, the e-commerce business, especially in the furniture space, you know, we call it internally death by a million cuts. Oh. And, 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 you know, it, it's, if you're not watching things on a daily, hourly perspective, if you're not watching every single product and understanding every single uh, sale that you have and every single SKU and how it performs, you're going to, you're, there's no way you're going to be able to survive ultimately. And, you know, it's a competitive space and what we're doing, there's a lot of competitors as well. Um, so having that technology background allows me to, you know, address any challenges that come my way and make it very process oriented, very logical, you know, our ones and zeros and just kind of tackle the problems that way. But the other part of it is, you know, our, our, our value that we see in our partnerships with our vendors. So, so, you know, for me, it's a people first organization that we have and, and we love uh, our people and we really care for them. And we extend that to our vendors. We, we call them our partners. And that's where it's a win-win because we've got the technology, we've got the people, we've got the partnerships and we share everything. We actually have a really transparent organization, both internally and externally. We show our P&L for our vendors to each vendor that's on our platform. And we show them, this is what we're making out of this. This is what we think that you're doing. This is where your marketing dollars are going. We, we give it all. And, and, and that to me makes a win-win relationship. And that's how we've been able to move ahead so quickly and so well. Um, I'm curious, you know, we've, we talked to folks a lot about kind of what happened back in, you know, March, April, May and the explosion. All right, so we're now nine months or so down the road. Um, we're all smack dab in the middle of uh, kind of supply chain uh, hell, for lack of a better word. Please excuse, you know, please, yeah, all yeah, of my yeah. listeners, please excuse me for using a, an expletive there. But, but it's, supply chain is really challenging. Um, what are you seeing in terms of, how, or even more, how are you dealing with that? So many retailers and manufacturers are struggling with that. Absolutely. I mean, the supply chain challenges have, have been, you know, the, the, the quick, the quick answer is, or, or quick point that I'd like to make is the fact that we've gotten through the majority of the supply chain issues over the last 12 months, if you will, or 11 months and managed to continue to do the business that we're doing tells me that we can handle anything as an organization. So that, that's something that we kind of, we try to remind ourselves off of, of as a humble company that we are. We, we, we sometimes forget that what a good job that we've been able to do, but it was everything from inventory shortages, warehouse shutdowns, 
you know, delivery over capacity on, on a lot of the, ne- uh, the networks, freight networks, even container costs, price going through the roof and increasing our prices ultimately, process issues, processing issues at the ports. I mean, these were all challenges that we've had to face. And guess what? The end consumer is the one that's complaining because the product's not there, it's not available, orders being canceled. So, you know, I think we've done really well in, in working on the marketplaces. You know, they don't always get, you know, the best reputation in terms of uh, ease of doing business with them. And we hear that a lot from our vendors. And that's more from a, from a business to business perspective. But we really appreciate what they do and force in terms of the businesses to, you know, address their own policies as it relates to their con- end consumer. And that's really forced us to live up to standards and increase our standards, raise the bar um, and, and make it that much more better of an experience for, for our consumers. So back to the supply chain, you know, we're starting to see it level off. Um, you know, we've got optionality now. And that's what I think one of the big takeaways is, you know, our Freight Club product offers over 30 different freight carriers in our network that we can offer up to brick and mortars that are trying to go onto e-commerce to existing, you know, e-commerce third-party sellers as well. Even we've got on our system, on our freight club system. So it provides optionality and we've decided and figured that we need that across the board. So whether it's, you know, ground or LTL carriers for dropship or warehouse opportunities, or just even product availability issues, making sure that we've got a catalog that addresses that. So it's been a big learning for us and supply chain is definitely being the sh- uh, shook quite a bit. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people were, you know, just resting on the fact that everything would work. And, you know, it was, you know, not understanding that there's so many steps in that chain that are actually not really as strong and rigid as we thought they were. But uh, I think it's just going to make things stronger and better for us as we move forward. Yeah, it, it really seems kind of interesting. Um, I think most people, when they put together a system, when they, you know, put together business plans, they prepare for, well, what happens if this piece goes down? Or what happens if we have a disruption over here? And this time, it's kind of like everything came apart, right? And I I don't know that anybody ever plans for what happens if the whole world shuts down for a month, and then you have to turn it back on. And each link I mean, I don't think the term supply chain has ever been more important than it is now or ever a more apt description because it really is this incredibly interconnected series of links and a break in one of those links. I mean, those of us who ever rode a bike as a kid knows only takes one broken link to end up falling on your butt on your bike, right? The chain falls off and down you go. And, And yet here you have all of these little links that have kind of come apart and all of these things. Um, that, that's an unbelievable situation to find ourselves. Yeah, and, and, and especially for us in the e-commerce space, if you think about it, we're an asset light. We don't take inventory. We're an asset light business. What are we effectively doing? We're, we're um, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, an orchestrator of information and a sales engine on the front side of it. And what I mean by that is we've got carriers. We've got LTL carriers and ground carriers. So dozens of those integrations. We've got marketplaces, over 15 marketplaces that we integrate with. We've got our vendors, over 200 vendors that we're working with, right? All of these are integrations of information, whether it's inventories, catalogs, pricing, uh, you know, labels for shipping, you know, orders being processed, EDI being processed, you know, or even just integrating and reconciling into our own, you know, systems on all the orders and the movement of data around. 
And, you know, when, when you build them out at the beginning, you, you just kind of assume certain pieces are working on their side and you're trying to just make sure your systems don't fail. And, and, and very quickly, what we realized is we started to need to build rules into all of our existing systems that we've got as it relates to, okay, if this carrier can't do it, what do we do? If this warehouse shuts down, where do we go and get the other product from another warehouse? And how do our systems handle that? I feel coming out of all of this is we've got much stronger systems in place that can handle pretty much, you know, well, we thought we had any other, you know, every, every situation figured out in the past. So maybe I won't say that because COVID was uh, uh, something that no one else did ever predict. But, you know, we're feeling more comfortable that we've, we've taken a lot of those risks that have been exposed and, and, and found solutions for them as well. This, this um, is a question that kind of relates, I guess, to my own um, ignorance of process. But if you're dealing with that many different companies, is it correct for me to, to think that each of them have their own systems, their own software? There is no unifying language or unifying software that, you know, everything all connects together, right? Everybody's using Microsoft Excel or just, you know, some program that we all know, right? Everybody's using the same thing. Or are you having to take essentially all of these just like different countries, right? Bring, you're like almost the technological equivalent of the UN where everybody speaks a different language and you have to translate all of that. Do I, do I get that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, each of these, if you think about it um, in, in, in this way is, you know, let, let's take a look at the marketplaces, for example. Um, you know, they're all very big, large marketplaces, way bigger than us. You know, the kind of influence you would like to have was very, very minimal, obviously, because they're dealing with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of sellers like us and millions of sellers, in fact, like us. So, you know, for them to change their policies and processes is going to be quite difficult. So we generally try to fit into it. But what we do is we try to create this layer, if you will. And this is my kind of tech geekness coming out of it. It's like a, a layer in the architecture above it that interprets all of those rules that are different from each of them and bring them into our system in a way that makes it standard for how we deal with it in, inside the business. So when our people are looking at a, a support ticket or looking at a you know, uh, an order than seeing where it, where it's located um, or, or dealing with a return or a cancellation. Our, our process becomes standard internally, but as they go out back into the, into the different marketplaces, then they're translated, if you will, back into their speak um, and fit into their, uh, their, their, their processes or their policies that they have. So it becomes quite complicated. And, and I think that's the value of what we do for our vendors as well, right? Because you know, imagine a vendor trying to manage 15 different marketplaces themselves, right? Just uploading and managing a catalog, get everything else is already a, a challenge. But, you know, with us, you just do it. You do it once, you upload it, and we take care of the rest. And that's where, as a fully managed solution, that's where we really come, uh, you know, the, the value, the value proposition comes through. Sounds like it saves a lot of time, effort, and uh, human resources. Absolutely. And that's just the beginning, right? I mean, we, we provide so many insights. We work with our partners to design new products, saving them on their own product design because we've got trend data available for them to have a look at. We have insights, like one of the cool little stories that everyone bugs me about, but it's kind of a cool little story because I, I say it all the time is, you know, quite often these vendors don't have access to the rest of the customer journey. So they're expecting us to take care of that and represent their brand. And part of that is, you know, uh, damages, right? How, how, how do things get damaged and, and what do they look like when they get there? And 
we actually provide that information back to our vendors. And it might seem really simple, but you know, there's an example of a product where you know, we're selling a ton of it, but the damage rates were really high. And you know, we took a look at those images and we show them the images and we're like, you know what, just add a little corner boarding over here because it looks like they have a standard way of you know, picking those and moving those products. All of a sudden, you know, you know, a 10 cent, 20 cent corner board, you know, save them thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on their products. So that's the kind of value that we like to bring to our vendors. It's not just moving product, but it's also optimizing their entire process that helps us, but also helps them and as they, you know, deliver and move product to their other distribution network. That is a really interesting story. And you know, I think that's the kind of thing that if you only had, if you were one company all by yourself, the amount of information or the amount of things, times that something would have to go wrong before you were able to analyze what that one little solution is, yeah. accelerated that exponentially because you're seeing across a much more broader platform. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super exciting. And, you know, that's what our vendors love about what we're able to do because, it just it gives that insight and that that operational excellence that we're striving to do internally every day. We extend that to our partners. Well, I mean, e-commerce one of the big challenges, and for furniture stores, we're trying to make that transition. Right, damage rates are are just. I mean, it can really suck the profitability out of a business. There's nothing more difficult than sending. I mean, you know, the way the the joke is, you know, if you want two of something, order one from Wayfair. Tell them it's broken and they'll send you another one and not take it back, right? And, you know, years, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean anything personal by that, but that does happen. Yeah, no. With Amazon, right? And that's the, that's, the, that's the impact of these large marketplaces on the consumer behavior, right? Like the policies are continuously evolving um, to ad- uh, adapt to that, right? It was, what did Walmart say the other day? I think there was an article saying that, yeah, don't worry, we're, we're just going to tell you to keep product, but the customers to keep the product, right? That's exactly what you're saying is, you know, if there's a problem, just call and they'll solve it one way or the other. But that has impact to the bottom line. And, you know, these businesses need to survive as well. And these are challenges, I think, that will will be addressed in the near future, because I think there's going to have to be some kind of reckoning at some point uh, before it becomes unmanageable, right? So costs are going to go up, prices are going to go up, like it's just got to, you know, a spiral effect that we've got to We've got to make sure we understand because if we want to continue to give good quality product at a very reasonable price, um, we're going to have to have some form of reckoning. Yeah. Well, it's not like the furniture business has a ton of margin built into it, right? It's like, oh, well, we'll just eat it. You know, we got enough yeah. margin. What the yeah. heck? Yeah. yeah. Un- unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Well, that was something, wasn't it? This is Trisha again for Klausner Home Furnishings. From my very first collection, I knew I'd come to the right place, that Klausner understood what I wanted to do with my furniture, how I wanted to share my recipe for comfortable living with the world. Now let's get back to Bill McLaughlin and see what he and his guests have to share with us. You mentioned the amount of data that you have. And, and I mean, that, that corner board piece was just one example of that, but you must be um, able to really kind of spot and identify trends all of my readers are always interested in, you know, what, where are things headed? What's coming next? Are there any um, key trends that you've picked up on that you're seeing this year, whether it's a supply chain trend, a product trend, whatever that is, what are some of the most important trends that kind of identify from where you sit? Yeah, I'll keep some of those for our, our secret sauce and our vendors, but you know, the, the obvious one, you know, is the work from home and, 
I think one of the cool things we saw there, and I'll, I'll, maybe another one, I'll give you a cool little example of. Um, but the work from home obviously is is has been interesting, and it's you know I think there's been you know peaks and troughs to that that we've seen, and you know at the beginning it was you know everyone in March and April was buying really low cost, low quality kind of you know flat pack type stuff that maybe was just you know expected to last for a month at most, and you know I'll just put this little I won't even call it a desk, a table over here, and I'll wheel over a makeshift chair and all that kind of stuff. And, and then as soon as people started to realize that the shutdown was going to, you know, r- remain and and the work from home was going to be a bit more permanent, we started to see, you know, an uptick in higher end, higher quality type of product, um, the, the resi commercial type stuff, right? Where it's, you know, commercial grade, but really fits into kind of something that, you know, my wife would accept is not too, too techie and uh, fits nicely into, into her, her furniture, uh, uh, expectations for the home, right? So, you know, we started to see an uptick there. And I think what we're going to continue to see is as larger organizations, um, or big and small, actually, are starting to make work from home a really key part to their, their go forward plan. They're also supporting their employees with with those purchases, right? So even here at, at Simax Group, we, we offer a matching program, right? And we offer up you know, a certain amount of money to match, you know, uh, them supporting uh, their upgrades, whether it's to get a desk or a lamp or a chair, whatever it may be to make their work from home experience that much more better. So we'll continue to see that one. One other area that I thought was kind of funny was um, when we were looking at our data was home bars really started to rock. And I thought that was kind of funny. So we all had a chuckle because, you know, I guess all, all, all these, uh, it appeared to be all these guys were were ordering these uh, man cave home bars for themselves because they knew they weren't going out and uh, they needed to stock up and have an experience in their basement or something like that. So we saw a huge spike in those. And we, we, we had, a, as I said, we had a really good chuckle about that. But, uh, you know, we see those little things, they stick out pretty quickly. And, um, you know, that that's the kind of information we like to pass on to our, our vendors to help them and make sure that, you know, they're, they're still kind of staying in tune with what the market is, 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 you know, demand is really. One of the things, and, and you, you, you cannot answer this empirically, right? So let me take you off the hook because I'm, it's kind of a crystal ball question. I don't think anybody knows, but one of the things that everybody is struggling with, we've seen all of this resurgence of consumer demand. And, and I, just the preface is, I ask this of everybody. So don't worry about being wrong. Nobody's going to come back six months from now and go, you said, um, but everybody's trying to figure out how long does this last, right? What, what kind of legs does that? If we get a vaccine in April, does the man drop off a cliff in June? I mean, what is your sense from where you sit of the, um, the depth to, to this uh, consumer demand that yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm generally a conservative person and, you know, try to take more of a realistic approach on, on whatever we do. Um, and, and I think I look at the, the market the same way. I think we've, we've had a big spike, um, especially in the, the secular shift to online, right? But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of that will stay, right? I, I just kind of look at it like 10 years ago. I, I, I've been in tech for, for you know, 20 plus years now, close to 25 plus years. And I, I was hesitant to make my first e-commerce transaction period until like 2005, right? Like this was like years after the e-commerce had taken off and everything. And 
And I'm sitting here and going, I know, I, I write code. I know what that looks like. I, I, I know what people can do with my information. And, you know, so, so there was a lot of hesitation for me. And, and I look at it the same thing with, with any of the ado- uh, adoption in terms of e-commerce purchasing going on. And that relates to, to, the, um, to, to, to the buying furniture online as well. I think technology is going to have a really significant impact in getting people comfortable with purchasing online. And you know, it's everything from you know, virtual reality, 3D imaging, you know, all those types of things that are really going to help the consumer get more comfortable to buy online. I think reviews are really important. So I think you know, there's, there's a lot to say that's going to really help move and keep this, this shift going. Um, I do think there will be a correction, um, but I don't see it going back anywhere near the levels it was before. And, you know, it, it's, you know, the timeline, yes, the crystal ball thing for sure. You know, like what's the date, what, what's it going to do? I just think there's too many opportunities that are going to really counteract or balance some of the the shift back to, you know, brick and mortar. Um, you know, so, so I think it's just going to continue. I, I can't really see it. We're feeling pretty bullish on it as well. That that is gonna is gonna persist. I'm curious. You you, um, you talked about not buying on the internet yourself until 2005, because right of what people can do with your information. And I hear people, you know, my age and a little younger, always talk about. I was talking on the phone, and the next thing you know, ads were coming up. Right, our generation, and I'm a little older than you, but. Our generation has much more of that big brother concern, right? I'm being watched, my information. I noticed that young people, though, they almost expect that tech to anticipate their needs. And if it's not intuitive, if it's not making suggestions, um, do you see that where there's that kind of demographic dividing line in, in the expectation around how technology performs? Yeah, I think as with with any new technology, you know, whether it's bleeding edge, leading edge, whatever, like there's going to be a rapid adoption and then there's going to be a a pullback to kind of realize and recognize how we need to to bring this and make it something that can be absorbed or accepted into society, right? So right now, you know, like there's there's all the I watched a documentary the other day with my kids about, you know, the the you know, the impact of social media right? It was a kind of a, a teaching lesson for them. And my 10-year-old turned around and was just like, oh my gosh, I didn't know they had all that information about me. And, you know, that was an interesting reaction and it's kind of what I hope. But I think we've gone so far one way and now it's going to take a step back. Everyone's going to recognize, okay, you know what? It was great, but we got to learn how to use it properly and we have to use it for good and we have to make sure um, that we're not, you know, being impacted too much as a society, right? With screen time and all those types of things, but kind of talk about the information. Personalization is hundred percent here to stay. Uh, there's no way people want personalized solutions. They want to go to a website. They want to know that what they're being presented with actually resonates for what they're looking for. So having a history of their searches or understanding who they are, uh, you know, it, it's there. And, we're always very careful about it. We understand a lot, you know, well, this, this customer bought a crib, therefore they had a baby. So we know in a couple of years, they're going to need a toddler bed. And then we know they're going to need a, you know, a single bed. And then we're going to, we know they're going to need a university bed. 
And then we know they're going to need a marital bed, <laughs> right? So, so, so we map that out, right? We understand that. And we use the information to kind of understand and, and, and map that out and understand how we target our consumers. It is pretty scary when you think about it, uh, how much information we know, but we always try to make sure we stay on the right side of it, that it doesn't you know, get into the creepy side of things. Um, but it's definitely something um, I think is here to stay. It's interesting how much you can extrapolate from a single purchase. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, you work with brick and mortar retailers as, as well as manufacturers. And I'm, I'm curious to get your take on the evolution of that interaction between the physical and the digital space. Because a lot of furniture stores are wrestling with that. And as of March and April of last year, those who were trying to you know, improve their e-commerce, suddenly that went from something that we, we kind of want to do and we're working toward to an existential crisis kind of a thing, right? Something we absolutely need to get right. How do you see that evolution of the interaction between the physical and the digital space? I think it's a similar thing to what I was just saying in terms of, you know, technology adoption, right? It's, you know, there's a, a quick knee-jerk reaction to saying, I have to be online right now. And and we've been there to support a lot of brick and mortar. Our freight club solution has really, really gained traction to support the freight element of brick and mortar that don't have access to dropship solutions. We've been bang on and right there for them to help them and actually provided them a lot of guidance on their e-commerce solutions. And what we're finding is there's still a lot of unknowns, uncertainty for those brick and mortars that have jumped into the e-commerce. It's not just getting a website up on Shopify. It's not just having product listed there and trying to take orders. There's so much more behind it. And that's what we specialize in. And that's what we've been doing for over 16 years. So we try to make sure we're there to support them through that process. Our system helps them get online. We've got our Cymax, as I said, Cymax.com and Homesquare.com. And then we can distribute their product through, through, through marketplaces as well. But I think there's going to be a bit of a realization there as well that it's not going to be easy. It's going to cost a lot of money um, and, and it's going to become challenging for them to do that. I think finding solutions like what we do with, with Cymax or our ChannelGate product are really, really helping those brick and mortars to kind of stay relevant um, and, and stay in the game. I think you know having catalog access on screens in, in, their, in, their, in their stores, uh, understanding where people are moving, personalizing that experience with technology. These are all things that we can definitely help with. And I think that's where they're going to really get the, the opportunities. Walk into the store, find a couch you kind of like, you know, have, have your tablet kind of scan the, 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 the product or even just pull the product up and we can list similar products on, on the catalog that they have. It's through their own site or through, 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 through another op- uh, option. And, and then we can support them with that online purchase as well. So I think, as you said earlier, it was whether they go to the store, do their research, then go home and buy online or vice versa, right? They've gone to online, they looked at it. So it is definitely the omni-channel experience coming together. Um, and it's been, I think it's been forced to happen a lot faster, obviously, than, than people were ready for. Um, but, you know, there, there are solutions there. And I think the brick and mortar, you know, we always tell them, it was like, we're not here to compete with you. We're here to support you. And that, that goes to all of our vet furniture vendors. And, and that includes brick and mortar as well. It's interesting. You made an interesting point there about the expense, right, of online. And I remember years ago when e-commerce websites first started popping up. And one of the things that I, I know a lot of retailers in this and other businesses that I were, was in 
they kind of felt like they were disadvantaged because they had the overhead cost of a physical space. And if you were online, because you didn't have any physical space, you had no expense, right? You don't, you had no asset in the terms of a store. And yet when you look at e-commerce today, there are so many different kinds of expenses, you know, to be effective in a such, I mean, the, the competitive environment is just exponentially more competitive than it was at the outset of the, the internet age, if you will. Um, there's just so many expenses that I, in some ways it might even be more expensive to compete today online than to have a, a physical store and have that be your primary transaction. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, the costs go, you know, from, from my sweet spot of technology and, and making sure that you can scale your technology platform, you can handle you know, all the traffic that's coming to your site, that your databases are scalable, that you're, you know, you're watching all the bot traffic and, the, you know, all, all of the harmful traffic that comes to your site. Those are just the beginning of, of things that you need to watch out for. Then there's obviously all the costs that go, you know, all the way through up to the marketing costs, as you said, right? Social media costs, Facebook advertising, Instagram targeting, you know, um, Google ads, Bing ads, right? Like you're, you're, you're trying every which way to compete um, in those auctions to make sure that you can position yourself above everyone else. And it gets costly. And, and those costs um, can get away from you very quickly, um, especially as you're trying to scale. So you put in you know, your, your, your catalog and if you've got you know, hundreds of products in your catalog, well, you know, you're trying to target all of those. You, you can very quickly start spending you know, marketing dollars and you just don't know where they're going. And before you know it, you, you, you're kind of in a really tough spot. Can you help with that? Absolutely. And that, that's part of what we do. We, we actually take all of our, our marketing dollars, whether it's in a form of co-op or just even marketing support. Uh, we actually quite often, you know, uh, one of the things I, I try to put in place was, you know, we, we, in, in a sense, we put our, you know, our, our, our money where our mouth is. So if, if, we, if we, you know, tell a, a vendor that, you know, if you put $1,000 into marketing a month, we can get you, you know, whatever times revenue on that. We'll actually even say, listen, if we don't, don't pay for it, we'll pay for it. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, and that's really gained a lot of traction because it's helped them get comfortable. And that's what we want to do. We're not signing them up to a year long contract for marketing or any like that. We actually don't. We incorporate our, our, our marketing fees into, um, into what we do. So we actually don't charge you know, a, a marketing agency model. We, we don't say you give us a thousand dollars and we'll spend 800. <laughs> we actually spend all of it. So, so we're so confident that the return that we get and, and the way that we sell the product for you is actually going to get the returns that you expect that, that we, we, we manage that all. And I think we're doing a pretty phenomenal job. Yeah. If, if there were, and, and I'm going to pick this number random, if there were three things, three pieces of advice, right? So if there's a retailer out there who's listening and they're saying, you know, I really need to, to figure this out. I really need to be successful in this space. What are the three priorities, the three things that they should prioritize for the coming year to really make sure that they're going to be successful in the new, let's call it omni-channel, or I, I like the term holistic retail myself because I think it's more encompassing. Um, but are there three things that you could point to that say, you really need to prioritize these three things and start there. Yeah, I, I'm. That's a good question, and I'll, I'll maybe try and keep it a little bit more abstract in terms of my response. And you know, the first thing I would say maybe is is just awareness. Be aware, 
right? And and I think if anything, last year taught us that we can't just sit back and rely on things running the way we would expect. COVID has taught us that. Um, you know, make sure you're always looking at your business. Make sure you're always looking at your weakest links, whether it's in the supply chain or or any other parts of the business. Just keep an eye on that. I, I think the next thing I would say is maybe you know agility, be agile, right? And and you know. Again, if anything that we've learned over the last year is that you you need that agility in your business. And I think we've been very, you know, again, it's one of those things that did we plan it? Was that the vision? I'll say yes, is to remain asset light. And for us as an organization uh, in e-commerce, we could do that as, as the, you know, the company that we are. Um, but I think as it re- applies to brick and mortar or other manufacturers and vendors, um, you know, I think it's just the agility, be able to shift as quickly as possible and don't be scared to do it. Um, you know, don't don't get stuck in a position where you're just like, hold on, hold on, hold on. And then and, and then, you know, as we're seeing that the end is not in, not always in sight. I'd say maybe the last thing or maybe the last second to last thing is, you know, be humble. And we're 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 a humble organization. And, you know, we like to pride ourselves the fact that we don't really carry an ego. And, and where I'm going with that is, you know, sometimes there's this overconfidence that we, we know everything. And as an organization, that's one of the first things that we, we really, we, we get is that there's a lot that we don't know. And we're always learning and we're always listening and we're always trying to improve. And that humbleness, it requires a certain level of humbleness to do that. And I think that's allowed us to, to really remain agile. Um, it's kept our, you know, heightened senses of awareness out there because we're always looking for more information and trying to understand where the industry is going. So I think that's really important. I think the, the last thing I'll say on that is lean in, um, right. During all this chaos, there's opportunity. Um, and, and, you know, we understand businesses are being impacted and all, you know, in every which way. And we just very lucky to be in, in the industry that we're, we're in. Which is a you know an intersection of technology, logistics, and furniture, right? With e-commerce, so you know it's it's lean in and and you know just make it happen. Um, you know don't 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 be scared. Uh, there's going to be a lot more change that we we could not have understood is going to hit us, whether it's a you know the political landscape, the economic landscape, whatever it may be. Um, just just keep moving forward. That's great advice. I, you know, I, you may have felt like that was abstract, but I can see exactly the actions that that would align with in a retail organization. And, and I can see how that would really be applicable and, and valuable. So I really thank you for those insights. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time with us today. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. It's been a pleasure and thank you. Yep. My guest has been Riz Somji, CEO of Cymax. I'm Bill McLaughlin, and this was On the Record. Please join us next week.